Hello, my name is Sam. I am the host of the With All Your Mind podcast, a podcast about principles I have learned through my 12 years uh, of fighting through a pornography addiction. This is my first episode. My guest is my brother, Max. He is the co-creator of LDS Quotations, a great website you can find thousands of quotes by topic on. Today's episode, we talk about how shame has affected my brother and my journey through recovery. Hopefully there are some principles here that uh, will help. All the references we make, I've, I've included a link in the description, uh, so check those out if you'd like to learn more. All right, without further ado, let's get started. Cool, man. All right. Thanks, Max, for being here. Appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so anyways, we were just talking about what to name this podcast. Um, one of the names I've been thinking about, uh, and I'd love to hear your input and your your name ideas, is with all your mind. Um, one of the verses that has stuck out to me since I've you know been thinking about all this stuff is you, know, you have to worship God with all your heart, mind, mind, and strength. And I feel like a lot of this uh, throughout my journey through you know addiction and stuff, I've I've relied on my might and strength that I've, I've worshiped God with all my might, like, and it still hasn't wielded the, the results I was hoping for. And yeah. I've realized that it's your mind that you have to wield. And I, I feel like I'm worshiping God in a new way um, ever since I've been learning these principles, uh, mostly on how my mind works and how, you know, uh, how I've, how I've, you know, I, I'll use a quote from you, you know, burned a hole in, in my brain, so to speak, uh, throughout my young life. And now I'm trying to reprogram my brain. So that's one thing I've been thinking about is, is with, with, with all my mind. So, um, I don't know. I, I like that a lot. Um, I, I can appreciate that sentiment. And I think most addicts can as well is that there's, there's this notion of feeling like you have to white knuckle your way through your addiction. And um, yeah, I think, I think often using your creative intelligence to overcome your addiction is almost one of the last resources we tend to use. And um, we would rather use our might and strength. <laughs> and those are, those are never enough. Um, I don't know a single person who said I've, you know, I haven't, I haven't applied any creative ability or, or <laughs> use my mind. I'm just here forcefully pushing through my addiction. If you hear that in a meeting, you let me know. and <laughs> We'll invite them to be a, a guest here. So yeah, for sure. I would, yeah, I'd be fascinated. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of been on my mind. What would be some of your, uh, your names that you would go with? Uh, I'm sure you haven't put nearly as much thought into this as I have, but wasn't ready for the trick question. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. It's your podcast. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if I want to name it for you. Um, but, uh, I, I know you and I know that you want, uh, anyone of all shape, size, color, denomination to feel comfortable coming to the table and having an equitable conversation about their addiction and feeling like they can do that. And so something, I, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think I really like the name all your, with all your mind. Um, uh, I, the only thing that it's missing implicitly is the all inclusiveness that I know that you would want to share yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say that it's a bad name, but that's just <laughs> like with everyone's mind. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, but yeah. Hmm. Okay, cool. Well, sweet. Um, so I know we talked a little bit beforehand. I really do want to focus kind of on shame, but just before we get into that, uh, just a generalization, you know, the, the whole goal of this, the reason, you know, I like to have guests is I feel like everybody's kind of got a story uh, about the topics that we're going to going to go over. And so just tell me a little bit about, you know, your journey uh, through, you know, you know, it doesn't even have to be about addiction. You're just your journey about how you came to come at ease, uh, particularly with with the topic of shame. I want to talk about shame and in, in uh, uh, today, and you know what shame is, the difference between 
you know, shame and guilt, uh, what we should be feeling if we aren't feeling shame. So uh, tell me a little bit about your journey with, uh, with that. Yeah. Uh, let me, that's pretty broad. Let me go ahead and narrow it up for you if it's okay. Um, just to be clear, this is, we're, we're on episode number one, right? This number is one. Numero uno. Okay. Yeah. Number one. So, um, well, uh, so yeah, let me, let me just tell you a little bit about me, um, for anyone curious or who might care to know. Um, Sam and I are brothers for, yeah, I think that's just some important context and um, I feel like I did a poor job. Yeah. We're, we're brothers. <laughs> this is my brother. Yeah. He's uh he's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I was first introduced to pornography. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what age, but it was around 11 or 12 and um, it was shown to me. I was shown a pornographic image in my cousin's house by his friend and he just kind of pointed to the computer screen and he says you know look at this and um i remember my cousin running out of the room recognizing that he'd been taught not he i don't think he'd ever seen it either but he knew what it was and um that's where it, my cousin's also one of my best friends um and we're yin and yang and that's where the yin and yang really I guess started in one regard as he was able to run, but I was fascinated and intrigued. And um, I, I made other friends who were, you know, finding out and learning about this. Uh, and we're, you know, we're 12, 13 year old kids and we don't know how to navigate any of this. And, and this is back in the day when internet is on dial up and like, you got like your, your mom's using the phone and, <laughs> <laughs> and like you're kicking her off when you get on and, um, so it, it, there was this, there was this element of it that was, uh, it was, it was a rendezvous. It was really, there was, there was something to lose. There were stakes cause you always had to do it sort of like, you just did it when you could, it wasn't on your phone. You didn't have a phone, you know? And if you were lucky enough to be at your friend's house while their parents were in the back room or gone, you know, and they were like, you, you didn't, you weren't like, Hey, let's go look at some naked chicks. You know, like it was just like this unspoken, like if you're down, then I'm, you know, and yeah. Um, anyway, this is probably way too much background and history, but this is probably, I, I imagine this resonates with a lot of people because this is kind of <laughs> resonates with me. No, I totally get it, man. And so, yeah, there was just sort of this inaccessibility that made, uh, pornography and just lewd imagery even more exciting than it is today I imagine for a lot of kids who can access it whenever they want because um, you just it was like a camel in the desert you didn't know when you were going to come by your next drink of water right mm -hmm. and um, that's a bad analogy because a camel actually needs water and a 13 year old doesn't need pornography but hopefully your the viewers will forgive I, me for yeah, that yeah I got it um <laughs> But uh, I, I, throughout high school, struggled with it and denied its power over me. And it wasn't until I started, um, you know, uh, thinking about my mission pretty critically that I f really started paying attention to this. And um, I also, Sam and I have the, the benefit of being able to talk about this as brothers, but I... I love my parents. I think they did an amazing job raising us. And I think raising children as a father of a three-year-old and uh, a child on the way, it's really difficult and you're bound to mess up. And so I've, I've come to this place where I, I can feel okay with my parents not teaching me a lot about my sexual desires. And, you know, they didn't, I, Sam, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I, I think our parents were pretty hands-off and they didn't necessarily talk to us a lot about sex. And they just sort of wanted us to have our own journey and our own experiences because their parents were so heavy-handed with them. And I think, you know, the pendulum had swung so far this way for them and it was swinging backwards with just as much force and just as much destructive power because the pendulum is just as dangerous <laughs> over yeah. here where you don't talk about it as, as it is over here where you talk about it way too much. And, um, and so I, 
it took me a long time, but I, I was, you know, I've, I've kind of been in the past kind of really angry and upset with my parents for, for not helping me navigate that. And, um, <laughs> this part's just funny. And I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I have to tell the story, but I, I discovered masturbation by climbing a rope in gym class <laughs> and I was just, you know, headed up the rope and I was like, that feels interesting. And I, I fell off the rope because I had an orgasm and I was like, what is this strange spider silk that's coming out of my body? And, and, uh, I remember the, yeah, just right there in gym class doing the two finger swab and sniff. Like what, what is this? Like, I do not know. And I thought I had a magical power. I thought I legitimately was creating something with my body that no one else could. And I thought that for a long time. And, and I remember my first experience of hearing that masturbation was bad was when I was watching Family Guy as an eighth grader. And the grandpa says to Chris, you know, what you're doing in that bathroom is a sin. And I was like, that's a, that's a sin. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of confused because I intuitively know that I'm like kind of hiding it, but it's never been articulated. And yeah. To hear that from Family Guy is just the start of a, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of doomed from the start, right? Like sure. my sexual education is coming from Family Guy. And so, so that's, that's a little bit about me. And um, I, I obviously have no, <laughs> I, I, maybe I should kind of pull back a little bit about how open I am about this and talk about it, but maybe not. But um I, I want people to feel comfortable and I want to encourage, I think people ought to feel comfortable talking about their past and it's yeah. scary. It's hard to confront, but that's sort of, that's sort of the one one of my journey um, at least prior to my mission and sort of the, you know, the machinations of my addiction. Gotcha. Gotcha. What, um, what let's talk about, or what what makes you uh, feel so open to share now? Why why do you feel like it's something that that it, it seems like it's important to you to sh to be open about it? So yep, absolutely. Um, so oh my gosh, I could I could write a novel. <laughs> I, I I immediately thought of like four different ways I could answer this question. Um, the first thing I want to say is uh, today is three hundred day three hundred and twenty two of sobriety for me. And, um, or I, I, another way of saying it, I, maybe this is a more accurate a day 322 of not relapsing. Um, sure, sure. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us, we kind of, we look over the cliff sometime or something catches our eye and, you know, we spend 30 seconds there before we, yeah, I get um, you. but, uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there, but, um, yeah, I'm on, I, I feel good about my sobriety and calling it sobriety, but um, to answer your question, why do I think it's important to be open and honest? I, I, I don't think, I think you have to find that and I think it's a journey to get there um, because I want to say 99.9, .9, but I, I, I honestly feel comfortable making this as a vast generalization, like 100% of addicts are ashamed and... Yeah. And I think they're addicts because they're ashamed to some degree. And uh, that's, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say that, but uh, I, I feel comfortable talking about this because I've, I've come to the realization that this is a very human issue and yeah. there's thousands of people just like me battling this and there's people who who have an easier time with it. There's people who have a harder time with it. But um, as I've attended meetings, like if, if you're just starting this journey, um, you're not alone. And there and, and there's <laughs> it, and it, it, it that's that's the biggest bummer about it is there's thousands of people who are, you know, tens and thousands, maybe millions, yeah. even just within the LDS community. Yeah, there's. It's a wide, wide problem. Totally. Yeah, it's huge. And, and it's, it's the amount, uh, the, the disproportion between a, how much it's a problem and how open our culture is to talking about <laughs> it 
is it's it's so heavily weighted towards how much more it is a problem than how much we're willing to talk about it. And I mean, you and I both want to change that. Yeah, agreed. One of the big one of the big turning points for me in my journey was uh, when I was in college. Uh, you know, I had kept it a secret for so long, and you know, I had told specific people, and you know, like people I really trusted or felt like I needed to, you know, whatever. Uh, but I, one day, I just. I was talking to my roommates. I just said, Hey guys, I have an issue with this. Like I need your help. And I kid you not the whole feeling of my relationship with every, all those people changed. Uh, you know, the encouragement I felt was, I, I guess I had this idea that if I were to say that people would see me as broken or, you know, they would see me as somebody who lived a fake life, right? That I was, because at the time I was a Sunday school teacher, I really did value myself as somebody who understood the scriptures. Uh, you know, our dad is, has been working in CES for 35, four years. Um, like I felt like a little bit of ownership to say, look, look, I, I'm a scriptorian. I understand this. I believe I'm really faithful. Please like see this as me. And me saying that to my, my roommates would make me as a phony. I, I was fearful, but all it did was make me more genuine, right? All it did was to say like, wow, you know, like, look, man, we've all struggled with this. Like I struggle with it. I'm really like one of my roommates I hope to have on this, this podcast uh, as a guest later said to, we still talk about it, right? I mean, it's something that became a topic of conversation for us. And so when it becomes out of the dark, it's, it becomes, I, I feel like people want to help so much more than we would ever think they do, right? Um, and I, that, that's where the shame comes in is you just assume that it, because it's so shameful for you that others will shame you as well. And that's the last thing that anybody needs, so. Yeah, um, well, that what you said is true beyond just addiction, pornography addiction. It's like, it, it, you said something that reminded me of Carl Jung, who's a, you know, he's, he's one of the greatest psychologists ever. And he talks about integrating your shadow. And that's, that's that part of you that you, you know, it's, it's the evil in you. It's the part of you that like Nazis were human beings like you and me. And if we can't admit that we could have been Nazis you know, there, there's an overwhelming probability that you and I would have been Nazis had we been in Germany. And yeah, and it's like, we, we all want to believe that we would be the, the one person or, the, you know, the, <laughs> the person to stand up to the regime. But uh, anyway, um, you, there's this idea of integrating your shadow and that's the darkness about you that you, none of us wants to admit it's there, but um, it's very real and I feel myself going off on a tangent, so I'm just going to stop myself there. Um. <laughs> I'm happy to talk. What do you mean by integrating your shadow? What's uh, help me understand a little more? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, like I said, that's a that's a Jungian idea. Um, Carl Jung sort of coined that term, and um, basically, it's that. Uh, and I think. I, I, and maybe this is this is where I have an opinion that not everyone is going to share, but um, I think in LDS culture sometimes we we talk so much about how we're children of God and like at our cores we're really good and precious and righteous and just just sort of like you know the, I, I picture those cute clip art children that you see in primary like like that's the sort of culture that we're that we're grown up like we and it's it's implicit in the message it's like this is who you are you're that little cute clip art child and there's you're pure and innocent and you ought to be like that clip art child and then you you grow up and you find out that like you're actually kind of a crappy person <laughs> or at least that's how you sure. feel right and you're like yeah. I am not that clip art child. Like yeah. I have, I have evil, bad desires. And like, um, you know, I, I went to Costco and I looked at her and I lusted after that woman in the checkout. Like, and it's like that clip art child wouldn't do that. And, and, <laughs> and, and we feel shame because of that, but integrating your shadow is the, the process of saying, I just had that thought. I, but that's, that's, 
that's a part of me and and i'm not mm. i'm not going to push it away i'm going to so it's sort of like you you don't want to be a bunny rabbit you don't want to be a cute innocent thing hopping along the field you want to be a monster that's under control you know ah. you, you want to be a wolf that can show your teeth and and i feel like lds culture we're we're more inclined to just teach yeah, you know bunnies, kids and youth like yeah. be the cute innocent bunny and i and maybe that's not true or maybe that's you know other people have had different experiences but like i really that that union that union idea of in uh in, i just lost it um integrating your shadow integrating your shadow really hit home to me and it was something that i didn't feel like i had because it's like hmm. no i have to confront that monster in me like i have to confront that that piece of me that just lusted after that Costco checkout lady. <laughs> sure. And, and I, I want to, I want to accept it as part of my identity, as opposed to say like, no, that's not clip art max. You know, that's not that clip art child because that's, you're doing yourself a disservice and a dishonesty because you are a monster. You are. Oh, you and, have a shadow. Yeah. Yeah. You have a shadow and it's real. And yeah. It's the same. Th it's the same shadow that took over Germany and killed thousands of Jews. And, yeah. Yeah, and like that—that's the shadow, and like that's the same thing that's at work with you when you lust after anyone. And so, anyway, that's the so, rabbit hole that I wasn't going to go down, but you took me there. No, so. this is great. Um, <laughs> to me, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. To me, that sounds like mindfulness, right? So, to me, mindfulness is being aware of my body, being aware of you know, David Foster Wallace, it, or I don't know if this is a David Foster Wallace thing, but like, this is water, right? <laughs> yep, that is, that's David Foster Wallace. Yeah. You know, just being aware of the things that are so blatantly just about human nature and understanding what's going on with me. And it sounds like that's a, a great way to explore mindfulness because the first time I heard mindfulness, you know, I was, I was, you know, probably in another dead end rut of me not being able to white knuckle my way out of this. And I Googled how to get over addiction, you know, like I'm sure everybody's done once on my phone, <laughs> just pulled up Google, <laughs> excuse me. Um, and it just says, Oh, you have to be mindful. You have to practice mindfulness. And I'm like, what the heck is mindfulness? I don't understand what that is, but being aware that you have a shadow, right. And understanding and, and, just feeling it, letting your body communicate those things to you and listening, um, it, it all helps you in your journey to, to rewire your brain, right? To, to use your mind to its full advantage. Yeah. Uh, is, I feel like that's, that's what I've understood. Uh, it sounds like, you know, incorporating your shadow, incorporating. <laughs> Integrating. <laughs> now I'm helping you. We've helped each other get that word. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of a, a shadow becoming a business. Yeah, I got my <laughs> LLC shadow here. Uh, <laughs> get in the business of integrating your shadow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Integrating your shadow. That sounds cool. So, so um, how do we get on the topic of integrating your shadow? Anyways, we're talking about a vulnerability and shame, right? So. Um, Anyways, I feel like, yeah, there's no reason to deny that this is a thing uh, that we all struggle with, right? And people will generally say like, hey, look, man, I want to help. Like, look, I've had, I have this shadow too, because everyone's got it, right? Uh, that was my experience, at least, when I've become vulnerable, so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyways. Um, I, I want to keep talking about, you know, the, the shame that we feel like if we're not supposed to feel shame, it almost feels automatic. You know, uh, it feels like, you know, you mess up, you just automatically feel shame. What are you supposed to feel if it's not shame? Like, am I just supposed to feel vulnerable to say, you know, go do it and then shout to the world that I'm, you know, doing this thing, right? what's the solution if i'm not supposed to feel shame what am i supposed to feel who okay so I, there's that's there's a two-pronged answer in my opinion and is there's there's 
there's the external and the internal and the external is a problem because the external is the culture around you around you that and so i think one right now we don't have a great culture not not just in the lds community but just in the world about talking about our shame we don't want your negative emotion we've got a lot to deal with by ourselves we're honestly the the if you think about the emotional health of the world right now like taking on other people's shame is very high on the total like we have 90 other things we have to cross off our checklist before we're capable of doing that as a you know as a society <laughs> right now we have we got to go put ourselves together and you know figure some things out first right yeah and so like that th those are the external factors like it, to the addict or someone who's who might be like becoming introduced to pornography is like you live in a culture of shame and you're not supposed to talk about it yeah and ha if the world around you was different and that's obviously the idea behind doing something like this is you know hopefully that we can make one small drop of water of impact if if that like maybe we can make the the world a little bit more open to talking about their shame um so that there's the external but then there's the internal response right like what are you supposed to do like what 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 can you actually um uh, do and handle in that situation and control. And, um, so there's, there's, there's a book by a guy named, uh, John Bradshaw, and it's also a YouTube series. I admit, I haven't read the book, but I've listened to his YouTube videos. It's called healing the shame that binds you. And he does this thing. He, he separates shame from toxic shame. And, um, and I really like what he says. He says, he says, shame is the shame at, at, at some level is healthy because shame shows you that you are imperfect, that you're not God. If you think of being shameless, like I imagine as a parent, if I was shameless and I'm yelling at my child and I'm saying, go get in the car. Like, I don't care that you don't have your shoes. I don't care that it's cold. Like go get in the car. Yeah. And if, if 30 minutes later, I'm not going, that was bad parenting, you know, then I'm shameless. Right. Yeah. And so I, I need to feel some healthy amount of shame, but then toxic shame is the shame that we internalize. And, and we often talk about it, like, um, the difference between shame and guilt, you know, like, uh, I have a problem versus I am the problem. Yeah. But what's so subtle about shame is you don't like, you're living behind the curtain thinking it's the stage and that's what shame will do to you. And let me try and expound on that because it's yeah. kind of a, it's kind of a complicated idea. It's like when you're in shame, you don't know you're in shame. And when you're, when you're, especially with something like pornography, you're going about your life thinking that you're going about it the right way, hating yourself and loathing yourself because you deserve to hate and loathe yourself because you're doing terrible things. Yeah, I agree with that. But I and, feel like it's the deserve portion that is what makes it so that you don't know what's happening. It's like, and that's, that's, that's living life behind the curtain and thinking it's the stage. It's like, I see. you think you live there. Like you think you shouldn't be on that stage and yeah. you're, and and that's that's such a toxic terrible idea is that you don't deserve love and kindness um because i do you mind if i tell sort of a personal story here and like kind of share please. a little bit of my own journey yeah please um this was the most pivotal there's no p in pivotal 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 um <laughs> This was the most pivotal, pivotal change in my uh, recovery <clears throat> was I was meeting with a therapist and um, she helped me see that I had suffered abandonment. And like, like, I, like I said earlier, like Sam and I had the best parents growing up and I, I, I'm, my parents are some of my best friends. And I've gone to them and said, like, I think I've experienced, like, my therapist told me I experienced some abandonment. And I had that goodwill hunting breakdown moment. You know, I had that <laughs> ugly cry. And, um, and it was, it was so, and why was that so impactful for me to hear that I had been abandoned? It's because I learned that 
my addiction, I was responsible for it, but on some level and on a very real level, it wasn't my fault. It's not your fault. Yeah. 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 And, and I could, and shame will make you believe that it is your fault, that yeah. you're a bad person, that you, you're, you have an ugly soul for doing what you're doing. Hmm. And you can be listening to this right now and being like, no, I don't believe that. Like, I, I know I have a good soul at heart. And it's like, no, like, I, that's like, <laughs> Like that, like that's that, that, that tone is the shame, right? Like, I know, like, I, I, like, whenever I hear that in a meeting, I'm like, you're like, that person is like living deep in shame. Um, Yeah. If I may, I'm sorry, do you still have, yeah. Um, I feel like a huge part of this, what what I've talked with my therapist is, is positive self-image, right? Um, It has to do with what you believe about yourself. And I know we've had a lot of good conversations about this, but a lot of times, you know, shame can also come down to, I'm a burden, you know, Um, it's, it's about a negative self-image that you have. Um, And, and, and what you're describing sounds like it takes it to another step deeper, right? About that. It's not all your fault that we're, I don't want to say largely, but we are, you know, in a small part, like in a small amount products of our circumstances, right? We grew up in the situation where we're kind of growing Look, in a, yeah. Yeah. If if you're gonna put some cheese in front of a mouse, it's gonna eat it. If you're gonna put porn in front of a 13 year old, he's 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 gonna look at it. Yeah. Like that's yeah. that's nature. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I know I totally resonate. A big huge aspect of me of for me was learning how to look at myself and just say like, look, I have to believe good things about myself. I have to be able to look at myself and say, like, deep down, I know that I'm, you know, I'm a good person and that no matter what happens to me, like I do, I do good things, you know, (laughs) I have a shadow, the shadow follows me around, but in all, like, my, my self-image has to be positive. And there are moments that this is what I feel like was the big revelation for me is the moments that I'm most vulnerable is when I slowly have my self-image deteriorated, right? So throughout, you know, time at work, I don't, I'm not as productive as I should be. Or, you know, my wife asked me to get her a soda and I get it from the wrong place. Just small things, you know, can you tell that that one was happened recently? Anyway. <laughs> Um, right there's just small things that deteriorate you and ruin your self-image right of saying like look you did this wrong again really again can i can i can i interject here is you believe the lie that that getting the wrong so or getting the so getting the soda from the wrong place (laughs) it means that you're uh you're believing the lie that that has impact on who you are. Like you're believing that that makes you a worse person when, Mm -hmm. um, and, and all the signs from the external world agree with that. Like your spouse might be saying, Sam, I, I told you time and time again. Yes. And it's like, so should I, you know, should I internalize this? Like, and it's it's so much easier to just internalize those signals and say i'm the problem versus push against them and be like hold on a second i'm yeah. a child of god i have eternal worth and like yes i got the wrong soda i did something wrong but i'm not like i yeah. I, I i created a problem but i'm not the problem right yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly the, the advice that I've been given, the, the practice is, is basically challenge your assumptions about yourself, right? It's to say, like, why do I think that about myself? Is it true? I, am I always like this? You know, what's, what's going on, you know? Mm. And to practice challenging your assumptions about yourself really helps you and to see, like, like look, getting the soda from the wrong place, it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's not a reflection of me. And, and, the thing that it usually happens is it's a part of a bigger value that I, that I believe about myself. So for example, something that I have noticed is 
I, I want to be a better listener, right? And I hope to be somebody that they, someone looks upon and says, because Sam was a great listener. I really appreciated that about him. And so I have these big lofty goals, right? About being a great listener. And then my wife goes, hey, if they have a, if they have a soda at McDonald's, then get it. But if they don't, then go to this place. And I didn't listen carefully enough. And I say, oh, I'm a bad listener, right? But just to say, just to, just to be able to challenge that axiom and challenge that point of view and say like, look, not a bad listener. It was just a simple thing. I was doing something else or, you know, what, what's going on here? And, and that really helped me to help my mind. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So like here, if I can uh, kind of create an appendage from that is this, this, this is an exercise I like doing with people to show them where their shame is. Yeah. And so Sam, if I say you're a squid, does that offend you? <laughs> <laughs> it does not offend me. You're you're a stupid octopus. Does that offend you at all? I well, I am a stupid octopus. I make a horrible octopus. <laughs> what what I'm saying is is that's such like you know in grade school we'd call that a bad diss you know like or yeah. and it's like why is it a bad diss? It's because it doesn't burn. It doesn't hurt. But if I say Sam, you're a sheep, and your whole life the circumstances that have come into your life, you just go with them. You can't even remember where you put your shoes. Like, and Sam had a terrible, he had a terrible time That's remembering true. where his shoes. I and did. it's like, that might sting a little bit. And it's it like, does, well, yeah. why does it sting? Because that's a piece of your shadow that you haven't integrated yet. It's like, that's a piece of that darkness that's still lurking in your closet and it scares you. And it's like, you don't know what that is. You haven't, you haven't articulated it yet right? Does that make sense? Like yes. you haven't, you haven't looked it in the eye and said, I've dealt with that. And so you can't like, you can't touch me there anymore because it doesn't hurt. Yeah. But if, but if I, so like, that's, that's the thing is like, Max, you're a, you're a lousy porn addict. It's like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't hurt me with that anymore because I've looked it in the eye and I've, and I've accepted the responsibility that's associated with that a uh, piece of my identity. Yeah. And and I and I'm tackling it forthrightly. I have accepted the fact. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. You were going to say something. My the thing that I had a long time with in my journey was uh, was the how do I look it in the eye and accept it, right? The how to like the the concept makes sense to me. Like, yeah, I have to deal with my issues, but like like what does that mean? How do you deal with your issues? What's the how to there? Go the, I mean, the short answer is do the steps. Um, <laughs> I don't know that there's a better, I could go into a long answer, but it's not going to be as good. <laughs> so to me, the answer was get therapy because someone else will, will help you do those things. Right. That's, that's to me what therapy is. I don't know if that's what's helped you. <laughs> therapy. So let's I mean let's contextualize it within this conversation is like doing the 12 steps it's sort of the doing those steps are integrating your shadow admit you have a problem you're looking that evil thing in the eye and you're saying let's let's figure out let's figure out if it's a million miles long and a million miles tall or if it's something I can fit in a box like is it manageable yeah. and and how much how much effort do I need to put into managing it and when you look it in the eye, you can start to go, this is going to take me about three or four years to overcome. And then you think, I never realized that. Like, you know, that like, that's a long time, but it's doable. You'd yeah. never had that thought before that moment, right? Because yeah. you were just, you were just an addict and it was controlling you. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's step one. And step two is to trust God, right? I think that's step two. Um, I haven't done the steps in so long. <laughs> it's, it's been a hot second for me too, but, <laughs> but basically each step you're, you're looking at that evil about you more in the eye and saying, where did it come from? Why is it here? How do I deal with it? And eventually how am I going to help other people deal with it? Yeah. And you're, you're integrating that shadow and the same, and a therapist is just someone who's helping you integrate the shadow. Yeah. And, 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 I don't mean for that to be like the canonical frame of reference. Like you, you don't have to call it that, but like, that's just in context with this conversation. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, to me, 
Um, I, I, I don't know if, I, I felt like I was trying to just figure out the principles as I went along and that eventually I would learn enough to just not do this anymore. <laughs> and I came to a point where the principles were like, you have to look it in the eye and you have to learn how to deal with it. And I didn't know how to do that. That's when therapy was really helpful for me. So I, I, I think there's also kind of a negative uh, stigma about therapy as well. If you're struggling with addiction, you should, you should get help from a therapist. Um, it, it's, to me, it's a, it's a mind, it's, a, it's an issue with your brain, right? It's something that your brain has developed, not developed, but learned something incorrectly, right? You don't want to do something, but you still do it. That's basically your brain tricking you. So I think that's where therapy kind of comes into play. Um, sorry, that was a little tidbit. No, um, no, I, yeah. Let, let's see, uh, what were we talking about before? <laughs> uh, look at your shadow in the eye. Uh, no, you, you asked me, um, what's, oh. how do you overcome your addiction essentially? Yeah. So, so <laughs> just to build off. So, so I loved what you said, right? If you, if you think about it and look at it and you say, oh, this might take me three to four years. And you say, I've never thought about it that way. That's doable. My, my thought process is what if you were a business and you had a business plan to, you know, your, your goal was to overcome, you know, your addiction, uh, you know, addiction to pornography. And you, you got together with, a, you know, a group of business people and you said, okay, we, we need to make a plan on how to do it. You wouldn't say, well, let's just not do it. <laughs> like, no one in the business plan would ever say that, right? Because it's a weird suggestion. It's just not. Well, it's like, not helpful. You'd have to yeah, present not, an alternative. Yeah, it's not helpful. So something that's really, you know, influenced my mind is, Think about this from a problem solving perspective. One way I take shame off of myself is by saying like, it's just by looking at it objectively. You know, uh, the word that I love is if it's a stream, be a casual observer, be a casual observer of your feelings of what's going on and learn from these things and treat it almost like a business, right? Like, uh, you know, if, 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 for example, you say, this is going to take me three to four years and you don't accomplish it in one year, if you were a business, you wouldn't say, we failed, right? You would say like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of anticipated. Like, we need extra help, right? We need more resources, we need it. And so, uh, this is a super, I have, I'm so excited to say all this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyways, uh, of course, you would look at your addiction from a, a standpoint of debits and credits having. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I studied guess so. accounting. <laughs> Finance. Uh, but yeah, like one thing that I've really loved is to to eliminate shame is just to look at it from an objective standpoint. Right. Look at it as if you're trying to problem solve, um, because that way you can just say, look, what do I need to do better next time? And make that your simple goal. And if you do it better next time, you've, you've succeeded, right? This isn't, this isn't, I, I feel like sometimes you try and tackle the whole, the whole. Try to try boil to eat, the ocean. Yeah. You try and boil the ocean. You're trying to do, you, you bite up more than you can chew in this situation. Yeah. So. 10 other idioms. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, well, that's the, and a part of that is, I mean, that's, that's how self-defeating and how cyclical shame is, right? Is it's because it's like shame doesn't want you to acknowledge, shame doesn't want you to look the monster, the shadow in the eye. And, yeah. um, and uh, you, you, shame is what would lead you to believe that this is something you should have overcome yesterday. Yeah. You know, it's like, this shouldn't take you very long. Like you, like, of course this would take you that long to overcome like that's right yeah and it, you're not being fair with yourself and that's why um uh I, for anyone who's ever heard jordan peterson or listened to jordan peterson one of his he has a book called 12 rules for life and one of his rules is don't compare yourself to who someone is today or don't compare don't compare yourself to i forget what it is but it's 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 a it's pretty common um axiom of you know compare yourself to who you are 
today, not to who someone else. Compare your, oh my gosh. The funny thing is I know what you're saying. Most people will. <laughs> Don't compare yourself with who someone is today. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Yeah. Did I get yeah. that? I, I get it. I know what you're trying to say. Yeah. And it's like, look, you might be listening to this and being like, dang, that dude's on day 322. Like yeah. I screwed up earlier today. And like, and I'm not trying to give myself a pat on the back. Like, well, I mean, yeah, I kind of, I, I think I deserve a pat on the back, <laughs> you do. but, uh, but like, I remember when I first started attending meetings and I heard someone say like, I've been sober for a year. I was just like, how did you, you're yeah. a jerk. Like, and I, and I let that accuse me. I, I felt accused by other people's sobriety. It's like, why couldn't I just be happy for them? Yeah. It's because I was jealous. I was envious. And it was like, there's shame lurking in the background again, yeah, telling me but, I'm not good enough because I'm on day one. Yeah, you're comparing you at that moment to that guy at that moment, right? And he's, yeah, he's much further along in his journey than you, you may have been, you know? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, I'm really glad you brought up meetings. I do kind of want to talk about the church a little bit here. Um, but I learned so much in the meetings, and I, I also, like, had to unlearn some stuff from, from these meetings. <laughs> um, but, but, like, I feel like everybody kind of learns. Yeah, I should be careful what I say. I felt like I learned a lot of the same things just by, you know, reason and, and going to these meetings, just thinking about it as somebody who was further down the journey, right? Like, I feel like we all kind of learn the same things almost, if that makes sense. Like we're, we're all on a path and the path isn't super different for everybody. Like <laughs> it's individual, certainly, right? Everyone's got their own demons and their own problems. Uh, you know, we have the same parents, so that kind of helps the path. But, you know, you learn things like, you know, shame is bad, right? Like you have to, uh, you know, get rid of shame in your life. You have to look the shadow in the eye. You have to deal with these issues. I feel like that's kind of, things that everyone learns along the way. Um, I guess something that I want to talk to you about is, you know, I, I want to, we're both members of the, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, Mormons, right? I, I think we've mentioned that a couple times, but I feel like oftentimes one of the hard parts about the shame is, you mentioned it earlier, the, the external shame, right? Um, about society and and how people view us and uh, being making us being willing to you know, be vulnerable and open about these things. Uh, for me, the church was, I always had great leaders to turn to. The thing that I was always um, had a hard time with was, was my understanding of who I should be, right? One of my least least favorite Sunday school discussions is the, the the verse at the end of Matthew, right? Be therefore perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Like oftentimes I feel like in the church we set these unrealistic expectations. Uh, we set these difficulties and, uh, you know, everybody looks good. We all compare each other to them. Uh, how do you, how do you break out of the idea of external shame, particularly in a society like the church. I, I, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of, I've heard it called white shirt Mormonism. Yes. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And how do we, how do we leave this stage of our spirituality where we're making sure that our neighbor isn't drinking caffeinated beverages and that we're, yeah. we're counting um well it, 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 sorry but if i may interrupt like this can expand so much further like like i feel that you know particularly older generational parents have have this weird you know mindset that therapy is terrible you know uh, you have to live this way i worked on a farm you know you should be working harder and there's almost a shame base there uh in your external like in your surroundings so if, if you don't go to church or you know if church is your thing, then I'm sure you feel the shame from other places too. So like just in a general, more broad way. Yeah. Um, 
That's a big question. How do you, how do you relinquish? I mean, it's a, it's a communitarian, it's a community problem that exists on an individual level. Yes. And so, I mean, I think if you look at, if you look at why we wag our finger and why just Christianity in general has lost some of its, like, if you look at any Christian religion and you look at our generation and how often millennials and generation Z are turning to atheism or, or spiritualism or, or just they're avoiding organized religion entirely is because Christianity or their religion has failed them in this. And it, and it has in a very real sense because it, it hasn't given them um, a structure or a place where they can feel comfortable making the follies of youth and feel safe there. Mm. It's like, it's too rigid. It's too much in order and it's, and it's not accepting of chaos. Yeah. And, and if you think about what it, what, what would make a culture do that is it's probably a number of old, older people who realize they made mistakes in their youth and they want to see the next generation not exhibit those same behaviors because they're ashamed of what they did. Interesting. Right. That's, it's like, that's a great, great viewpoint. I've never heard it said <laughs> that way. It's, I mean, okay, maybe I, I might get in trouble for saying this, but with some people, but <laughs> what's so fascinating to me is the, the Latter-day Saint church agreed and was pretty like, it wasn't being LDS wasn't counterculture until the sixties and the seventies when you started getting like the hippie era and the rock and roll and the doobie brothers. Right. And, but like in the forties and the fifties, your Mormon neighbor was pretty much exactly like you. You didn't really, you couldn't really differentiate from your Mormon neighbor. Like he was just, he went to work from nine to five. He was a good guy. Like he, yeah. you know, he always said hi. And, and so culture and Mormon culture were pretty much the same. And it yeah. wasn't until the sixties and the seventies really start divulging, diverging. Um, and what happens during the sixties and the seventies is you start having the leadership of the church being extremely declarative. And it's mm. not until the 60s and the 70s where we start kind of coming up with these new rules about like what you should and shouldn't listen to, about how many piercings you should have, about the kind of like the, the strength for youth. If you read it, it's like girls shouldn't go out with curlers. And it's all about protecting image. It's all about, it's all like, and this is why I said I might get in trouble is because it's like, we don't want to feel ashamed of the people in our church. Uh, and it's like, why would going out in curlers be bad? Why would God, why would God not want you to go out with like, you can look at it. The strength for youth pamphlet literally tells young women <laughs> in the sixties wow. to not leave their house with curlers. Didn't know that. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, and I kind of chalked that up to, we were scared. The leaders of the church were going, the world is changing. It's, we don't like it. <laughs> and we are afraid of it, frankly. Yeah. And um, so, and, and I think it was, it was, it was, it was once again, let's preserve the clip art primary child. Mm. Let's not, let's not look this demon in the eye and find out how to beat it. But let's talk about how we can avoid having to face it. And I think, I think our church has a history of minimizing the problem and minimizing its reality and focusing on, it, it minimizes the dark and emphasizes the light. And the light should be emphasized, yeah. but the dark should not be de-emphasized. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's I. I think that's really well said. To be honest, I, yeah, I've never thought of it in that way, but I totally agree. I, uh, I, I, yeah, man. I think uh, I think coming to realize that everybody, what you said of it's a it's an individual thing on a community basis, right? Um, everybody gets to make their own decisions, right? Everybody gets to choose. Um, you know, what they 
what they feel and believe and, and the meaning that's attached to, to certain actions. People get to choose that, that information. And just because someone else chooses that, it doesn't mean that you have to choose that as well, right? And so um, I think that's kind of the beauty of, of something about the church that I love is the emphasis on faith pretty much always. Um, and that faith, uh, you know, faith is really about your, your belief. It's about you and, and what you believe. Um, it's about, you know, that everybody, you know, faith is about closing the gap of what's impossible to know and what we believe. Mm. And, um, everybody that, that may be different for everybody at different ages, you know, stages in their life. Um, but you get to be the, the person who, who chooses what that faith is. You get to choose what you believe and you get to choose what you make meaning out of. And so I love the notion of saying, you know, the church may, may say it's image control, right? We want, we want to you know, maintain this image and not be ashamed of it, not be ashamed of our members. And you get to say, look, I believe something different. And you can say, I'm, I believe, <laughs> yeah, I believe that I'm a, a perf, perfect person, golly, that I'm a son of God, you know, I believe in the, these, high, these principles. Um, and so I feel like the only way to really not fall into this trap of community think is by developing your own kind of realizing that everybody develops their own kind of faith and that you get to choose your faith too. So, yeah, well, this is, I mean, for anyone listening, you won't know how to reference this, but Sam, my dad and I were talking about Frederick Nietzsche and um, Frederick Nietzsche has this idea about becoming the Uberman. This like a, basically like a, a, a Superman, like a, a, and you have to um, you're, you're talking about, almost creating your own religion and your own morality and transcending. Oh, I, I have so many tangents. I want to go down. Paul, Paul talked about the end of the law being love. And yeah. um, I've read a scripture in Timothy. I'm going to paraphrase it. Um, I read it last night and um, Timothy is Paul's son. And he basically says the law is this temporary thing. The law is not eternal. The law is, the law can be, broken like the law <laughs> like like it can be broken like so therefore it's not eternal it's 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 it points to the end it points don't confuse the the sign that tells you to where to go for the destination and that's what the that's what the law is and so what you're talking about is sort of um you have to transcend the culture you have to transcend yeah. Um, you can either be a sheep and be, you can look at everyone around you and say, well, they're doing this. And everyone probably has a memory of like themselves in high school where they, they looked at one of their peers. I know I did this. I did it with a kid. I won't say his name. Um, we'll call him Steve. Um, but Steve was doing stuff with his girlfriend and he, you know, he was, and he was passing the sacrament and he was, he was doing all these things. And I was like, well, Steve's doing that. So I'm good. You know, he's, he swears all the time. And so, yeah. and I used him and I, and I, oh man, I, I, I have, this is, yeah, I gotta, I gotta throw a rain out there and pull this in, but I used him as my standard for how I ought to behave. I didn't use the ideal as how I ought to behave. I used the church culture. And as long as we use the culture of the church and those and individuals within it as our standard for our own morality, we'll never transcend the culture. Zing. That's it. So hopefully I said that in a way that makes sense. And yeah. yeah well, now I know that you were, and Steve are the exact same person. So do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, man, I think this is, I, that is really my eye-opening to me um, to think about it this way. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, this has been great, man. I appreciate it. Um, something uh, I want to do is sort of get the references that we've, we've talked about. Let's see. We talked about uh, 
you know, Jordan Peterson, John Bradshaw, Carl Young, I think, David Foster yeah. Wallace. I want to be able to, you know, include those in like a description. Yeah. Some so, so, yeah. So if you guys want to like, you know, do a little more research about things that we talked about. Um, I, I haven't heard a lot of the things that you brought up. This is another huge reason why I want to do this is <laughs> everyone's got their own resources that they listen to. And I want, I want access to those resources. So yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, send those to fun. me. Yeah, this yeah. is fun, man. Yeah. I really appreciate or it. If you want my logins to my Audible, I have a lot of these books. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Not that's for you, not everyone. <laughs> it's one, two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, All right, right man. man. Well, it's been fun. Yeah, this is great. Thanks. Yep.